Hello, and welcome to the Pros Travel Podcast series, The View from 30,000 Feet. I'm your host, Aditi Mehta. In this episode, Justin Jander talks to Carl Eastler from Carl Eastler Consulting to, about dynamic pricing and the art of the possible. Let's take a listen. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to host uh, today's podcast. My name is Justin Jander. Uh, I'm a product manager here at Pros in our revenue management products. Uh, I'm excited to be joined today by Dr. Carl Eastler, and uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, a white paper that he's recently published, um, as well as some of his uh, findings throughout the, the journey of revenue management. So, uh, so, hello, Carl. Hello, Justin. All right, so I guess to get us started, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey in the aviation industry? I was uh, just telling somebody the other day that, uh, that Carl, you're an expert and a legend in the industry. You've been around for a long time and seen, seen the industry grow and, and change. So if you could tell us a little bit about where you started in the industry and how you've gotten to where you are today. Well, actually, I started out in a different industry. I used to work in research in elementary particle physics like field theory and stuff like that. A little but different than, uh, <laughs> than revenue management. It's right? a little different, and, but then sort of I found that there were not enough interesting problems to work on. I mean, there are grand problems, but the chance that you can solve it is rather rather low. So there were no real problems around. So eventually I quit that field. And then I, pretty soon afterwards, I saw a job announcement at Swissair where they uh, were looking for somebody in a, in a field called revenue management. I didn't have an idea what this really was. But when I came there, it was really fascinating because a lot of elements of particle physics, like particle creation and particle go away, it's like bookings appear and go away. <laughs> so actually, I found myself quite at home and also how the things work. It was kind of like an industry with research. There were conferences. You could publish papers and so on. And the nice thing about it was also that there were problems just jumping at you from all the corners. <laughs> so basically, I got stuck in revenue management. And then we had a unique chance also to influence quite a lot how things go, because after Swiss went bankrupt, uh, uh, Swiss started out as more, more like a startup company feeling. And we could, together with pros, actually build the foundations of many things which are still around. Mm -hmm. Uh, call it dynamic pricing, RDDP, and all these uh, modules that was actually the start of quite a long uh, relationship we had with pros. So we could actually do some innovations, and that was really exciting. Yeah, I, I find it interesting because we have several people at pros that are former uh, uh, physicists and even a few nuclear and particle physicists <laughs> that sort of all have gravitated to this field, and it's interesting to see how you can take a, a very science field and apply that science to a, a business setting. And, and as you said, the, I, I think one of the things that's interesting is that the, the problem's constantly changing as the, the world changes. And it's, whereas physics, I think you can probably research one little thing for forever. And yeah, I mean, usually you have what they call the standard model in physics, which is pretty good. And it's pretty tough to even bring something better there. Yeah. Well, as, as we certainly know from pros, that things do change uh, a lot. And of course, you know, we evolved from our leg-based system to our O&D-based system. And uh, you talked about when Swissair came around. Swissair was the first uh, O&D customer, pros O&D customer. And I, I believe you had a pretty big hand in, in the development of that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I mean, that was, actually it was a project which survived the company. <laughs> the project started out with Swissair, which was grounded in uh, 2001. 
And then for a while it was there, but then the new company was formed, which is called Swiss, just lost the air. <laughs> <laughs> but then we could actually bring the project over into Swiss. And the nice thing about it was that a lot of things had already been done in the Swiss air area, so we could actually sell it to, to, uh, to the new Swiss company, which was supposed to be a much smaller company, but we still could implement the OD system. So we were actually quite actively working with pros to make this thing work. And uh, we had a relation that we at the Swiss side would also look into the system and test the data and we would propose uh, solutions. And one thing which I really never forget is that about, it was about four months before cutover, we came up with an idea to modify things uh, in RTDP to come in with the fair adjustment things and then Luckily, this was possible four months before cutover of such an important project. That is really somewhat exceptional for industries. I mean, in more bigger companies, I think you couldn't do that. Then. So uh, just to help us kind of uh, proceed through where we are today, and, and again, I mentioned your white paper, and, and we'll get there. Uh, when, when you talk about going from leg to O&D, what was the real kind of motivator for that? I know a lot of people don't you know, hear O&D today and it's sort of accepted. What was sort of the reason behind that at the time? I would say, I mean, if you look at uh, the network of Swiss, uh, I mean, Swiss, Switzerland lies quite in the middle of Europe and uh, it's a quite a good hub position. Uh, you have also, another thing is we have in Switzerland is we have inbound and outbound traffic. I mean, there's quite some industry in Switzerland, so we have a lot of business traffic inbound. Mm -hmm. um, also, the, the industry situation within Switzerland is actually good for having, uh, they want a lot of long-haul flights to be better connected, but you can support the long-haul flights only by doing a Europe connection. So the network structure was quite optimal. Mm -hmm. And so that was the original motivation that we say, well, we should actually do network control instead of light control. We can make, I don't know what, 1.5% more revenue. So we did that with simulations with uh, Bela Barber and MIT and stuff like that. In the end, it turned actually out that another aspect was even more important with OD, and this is uh, that you need what they call seamless availability. Mm -hmm. That means you you have uh, basically a possibility to influence the availability on the fly. Sure. And that turned out to be a much better revenue driver because it enabled us to do what we call dynamic pricing, yes. which is, might be a little bit different from what the industry today, the Allen industry today, uh, thinks what dynamic pricing really is. Yeah, and I think that, that really gets into the next part. So, you know, PROS has had, you've referenced PROS RTDP a few times, and, and that stands for real-time dynamic pricing. And so, of course, the industry buzzword these days is dynamic pricing. When are we going to have it? And, and how is it going what, to, what's it going to look like? All of those things. But, of course, uh, we've had a product called real-time dynamic pricing since, well, I guess, 2005, 2007, something around there, right? Yeah, the precursor was already in, exactly, in the yeah. original uh, 2003 module, actually. Yeah. We had. <clears throat> and so we've, we've continued to evolve that into what we have today. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you were a big part of, of it becoming real-time dynamic pricing, and obviously there's the component that's the real-time, and there's the component that's the dynamic pricing. So can you elaborate a little bit on what dynamic pricing meant back then so that we can sort of help establish the baseline of real-time dynamic pricing in 2003 to, to today versus where it's headed in the future? Well, I mean, what I personally believe is that it's a little bit misunderstood in the island industry nowadays what dynamic pricing should be. They, they confuse it a little bit with, let's say, what we call continuous pricing, that you have to file fares first and so on and so on. 
economically, actually, dynamic pricing is just that you can change the price for something on the fly. And of course, prices change. I mean, in the island industry, you have price changes, but many of the price changes are because different. you ask different things. If I ask for a round trip, no minimum stay fare, it's a different price than when I ask for something. So some of the prices, which is not really dynamic, comes from the selection that you select for different customers, different prices. The true dynamic price, the true dynamics of the prices actually comes from what in the older world is called the availability, in the newer world, it's maybe called the bid price, is that your estimate how much resources you have kind of changes. And it's also very stochastical. If you have a large group booking, which you didn't know before, suddenly you have much less space than you thought you had. You have to put your prices up and down and all this. Yeah. And I think that the, the real thing about this, I would say, about dynamic pricing is that you can change prices for the same thing based on your, your resource situation. Right. And actually, airlines did that maybe not knowing really what they're doing so, so well, did this all along. Because, I mean, how would you as an airline change uh, the price for the same thing? Mm -hmm. And essentially, because you have to file all the fares with ATP, and so that's not so easy. You cannot really refile it for each occasion. Mm -hmm. But what then, then the airlines came up with, is they say, well, let's just for the same thing file a little bit higher fare, or a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. And then with the availability, we can switch them on and off. And right. this is really a way how to do dynamic pricing because you can change the price for the di for different things. You can only do it in discrete steps, by the way, but uh, I think that's not so much of a disadvantage. Of course, it would be better not to having to file all these high affairs, but uh, essentially if you file a re decent set of higher fare levels and are able to control them, right. then you can do dynamic pricing. And that is exactly what we did with RTD. We, yeah. we basically try to control the availability of those so-called buy-up levels. Right? right. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because as dynamic pricing, the term has become more and more popular, people are starting to use it interchangeably and, and sort of have left the RTDP type of, of dynamic pricing has sort of just been pushed to the back burner and everybody's talking about continuous pricing and so forth when there's still a lot of improvements that can be yes. made to how you do the, the dynamic pricing that's, that's available in RTDP. So yeah, as we sort of move from the, the kind of talking about how dynamic pricing, the, the term has evolved, uh, you wrote a, a white paper recently. It was called The Art of Possible and Dynamic Pricing. It's an interesting title. Can you describe a little bit about what you meant uh, by the title and, and why you wrote it? Yes, I think that came a little bit from my experience I have now as a freelance consultant. I basically quit working for one company only and uh, do some freelance consulting. And I see now how other airlines actually deal with the, with the problem of sell-up fares and so on. And I noted that there is a lot of misunderstanding how what these things should be and how to deal with it. So, as I said before, uh, I think that even being able to handle sell-up levels properly is a form of dynamic pricing. Mm -hmm. And this is why I call it the art of the possible, because I think airlines would first have to learn to deal with the sell-up fares properly. Mm -hmm. Once you can learn with the sell-up fares properly, it's like you solve a dynamic pricing problem with the restriction that your price can only be one price out of a bunch of discrete prices. It's, it's an additional restriction. Now we can say, is this restriction really uh, a bad restriction or not? Well, it is a restriction, but I claim most of the benefits you already get if you can handle four or five sell-up levels. And this is what I mean by the art of the possible. 
That means if you really learn how to handle these four or five setup levels properly, it's a form of dynamic pricing which you can do now. It is not really uh, restricted by having to do change the whole distribution mechanism right. and so on. Of course, it's still restricted in one or the other ways, but I believe airlines should first learn how to deal with that. So it's sort of as you learn how to deal with, with the first problem, it helps you then enter the second yes. problem rather than just skipping over the first. Yes, thing. essentially, uh, the, you can also then interpolate. Uh, let's say you master the discrete problem as the discrete setup levels, you master it properly. That gives you immediately a mathematical handle how to do the continuous prices. Exactly. This is actually what we did at Swiss with the groups, because groups was not hampered by the distribution issue. So we say, why not generalize this discrete one into the continuous problem? And we were probably the first airline to come out with true dynamic pricing and the network carrier side. And just as a note, that, that was with Pro's GSO that you, yes. you did that part. So important to note there that that, that, impl that implementation was with our group sales optimizer tool which we're now taking and extending beyond just in groups and into individuals. Yes, the idea there was because groups are not really filed, group fairs were not really filed, you, they were quite basically quoted ad hoc. Right. Um, so that was possible. So one of the things you said when you were talking about your paper is that you're starting to visit a lot of different airlines and, and you're, you're getting that experience around the world of how this is approached. There's a lot of philosophies on dynamic pricing, but if you can explain sort of what is the, the crux of the problem that the airlines are trying to solve with dynamic pricing, that would, I think, be helpful. Well, on one hand, I think dynamic pricing is just a better, a superior type of control because in the old revenue management model, you would just switch on and off demand streams, right? If you see you don't have enough capacity, you just say, this demand stream should be closed. Mm -hmm. But this is not really a very optimal control because if you think one demand stream has different customers with a little bit different willingness to pay, of course they're all like segmented and have maybe similar willingness to pay, but still they have different willingness to pay. Instead of closing off the demand stream entirely, why don't, why do, don't you just raise the price a little bit? Mm -hmm. So there's still uh, some customers within that demand stream, they might buy it. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a really interesting point because I know from my experience of visiting airlines, that is a very easy way to do it. It's, it's sort of intuitive to just say, I want to force someone to buy a higher class, just close off the thing that they would have bought. But you know, to your point, there's a much more mathematical approach to saying, change what the value they provide to me is so that then they're, they're worth more to me. And I'm not just a blunt tool, I'm giving more of a mathematical tool to it. Yes, I, I think, I mean, the old model of independent demand would only work if each uh, customer has the same willingness to pay, but this is not real. In reality, you have to assume a certain distribution of willingness to pay. So that means even if you're a certain passenger segment, you still take the upper part, you just take only those with a higher willingness to pay on the given segments, rather than closing the, the entire demand stream at once. So it's a real uh, better way to control. I mean, I think the islands realized that pretty soon because uh, they're that is probably also one of the reasons why they were never really happy with the availability in the old revenue management system, because if you just think in standard availability, it cannot bring in all those pricing dimensions which you might have. I mean, that you say, maybe short before departure, willingness to pay is higher, therefore I close a lower class to induce setup. All these things do not come naturally if you're not in, impose sort of the dynamic pricing aspect to it. Right. And that's where you can you can say that there's sort of two components to to how you do revenue management. You need a good bid price that sort of represents the the volume of the demand that's out there and the value of that demand. 
But then you also need the secondary component of now that you have the bid price that sort of tells you the capacity level, now what about the willingness to pay around that bid price? Yes, that's a very important point. I mean, economically in the background, there's really two mechanisms what can happen. And one mechanism is given you know that customer, you know that customer segment, what is his willingness to pay, what you want to charge to him, right? That's one aspect, is the pricing aspect. But the other aspect, even if you would charge the optimal price to each customer, you might not have enough capacity. Yeah to really take all those passages. That, that is the bid price aspect, which says, well, I cannot transport everybody, so, so I have to impose like a congestion surcharge to the price, so to speak, to slow down the, the demand on that, on that given flight, which has a constraint, so that it fits capacity. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting <laughs> way of, of describing what a bid price is, a congestion surcharge. I think that's pretty interesting. I might have to steal that one for... Uh, for future use, but it is, and, and that's something we do often sort of run into is explaining what a bid price really is, because a lot of times people in, kind of combine the two, a bid price combined with yeah. the willingness to pay part, and, and that's really something that they, they need to be separate. They're at separate economic pieces, and they should be modeled separately. It is very important, yes, and that's one of the, of, I think one of the problems most Ellen have is this fighting buy-downs thing. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say, if you are a locust carrier and you just have one leg or demand, local demand on one leg and so on, it doesn't really matter whether you add them together, you put this willingness to pay piece uh, together with the bid price and so on. But in an old world, it's extremely important that you separate these two things. Mm -hmm. I would call you need two controls in an old world. You need the bid price, is like the congestion control, but you need the pricing control, which is the margin you want to put on top of the bid price. Exactly. Now, the problem is if airlines try to forget about you having to put the margin, they might inflate the bid price artificially and so on. But the problem is then if you try to add bid prices on two different legs in a connection, your bid price is too high. The margin is not additive, whereas the bid price is additive, and you have to keep those things apart, what is additive and what is not. If you start to add two margins together, you get what we call double marginalization, and that is never good. Hey, so we've talked a lot about the the kind of math behind it, the economics that drive it. I think one of the things that's important too is is how users interact. So from your experience with airlines around the world, how have you seen success in how the users take those two economics approaches and and make it successful at the airline? Well, I would have to say what we tried at Swiss, I still find one of the most uh, successful ways of doing these things. Uh, these have been extended to the entire Lufthansa group by now. And what we came up with, essentially, we say there are two economical principles going on. One is basically congestion control and the other is kind of uh, pricing margin. You should assign two separate roles to those two things. Mm -hmm. Essentially, we have a pricer, you could maybe, it's very similar to the traditional pricer, except that the pricer would not determine the absolute fair level, he would more determine how much you should add on top of the bid price. And that's the pricer role. And then you have the, uh, the capacity controller role, or whatever you call him, and he is responsible for the bid price. The bid price has to do more like with future demand, future bookings. It's about the future. How much can you make with that seat? in the future. Whereas the pricing control has to do how much is the current customer in front of you willing to pay. And these are by nature two different things. So we also assign two different roles to that. 
And this has to turn out to be quite successful. And one of the other important points is if you are in a network, usually the bid price comes out of a network optimization and so on. And the problem usually then is nobody's really responsible so much who is responsible now for the bid price. What you also find very useful is to really make the leg capacity controller be responsible for the bid price so that he would be um, able to change that bid price in case it is necessary and he's fully responsible for that. So we've sort of covered a variety of different topics here and, and focusing a lot on, on the, you know, the art of what's possible in dynamic pricing. And now you're, as we think about it and we move towards and the system, systems evolve into what people are saying dynamic pricing is today, can you talk a little bit about the science and the users as we really do move to that next level of continuous uh, pricing? Well, uh, one of the proposals was that those two different roles would also have to deal with two different, let's call forecasts. I, maybe they're not both like forecasts, they just try to put light on different aspects of demand, right? The pricing, uh, the pricing forecast, or we call it more like an estimation, is rather a scientific tool trying to numerically estimate the willingness to pay, so to speak, or some call it price elasticity. Mm -hmm. In principle, what you need is the probability that you get the sell yeah. at a certain price. That is basically what the pricer should know. On the other hand, you have the capacity controller. This is more about the future. This is all what is future uncertainties, what can gonna happen. So the, the, this one is the resource role and uh, the resource role should actually predict how much money you can make with the seat otherwise. And sort of the online calculation and tries to gauge those two things. It says, how high should I charge to the current customer with the risk to lose the sell compared to what I would make otherwise? Right. This is kind of the balance which has to be calculated in an online way. And that needs kind of two scientific kind of models. One is more about future forecasting stuff, time series model and so on, to come up with a decent bid price. And the other model is more like, can I estimate based on my customer information, whatever I know about the customer, to what kind of segment he would belong and what is the best possible price for that customer. So that's the kind of two two disciplines. And to put that forward, I believe it, we need to change really the way how we think about the pricing. I mean, you cannot at the same time file very complicated fair structure in ATP co and on the other hand, try to have a scientific understanding about willingness to pay. That's somewhat exclusive. So dynamic pricing on the bottom line would actually be very simple because what would your final price be? You just add up all the bid prices of the resources the customer wants. You add the price control on top. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, and, and it certainly sounds simple. Uh, now it's just a matter of uh, getting all of the extra stuff that goes with it together, and and all the different components of the of the systems that have to support it. Which which is again why it's good that we have the the approach of dynamic pricing that that you talked about at the beginning to where we're headed. Yes, because that's very important. Because one of the big roadblocks is actually the current distribution model, specifically in indirect distribution. You say now a lot of airlines now they do, let's say, up to 50% direct distribution, but the airlines didn't really invest of inventing a completely different pricing mechanism. Still, if they do direct distribution, they still apply the old indirect distribution model to calculate the prices. And that has been one of the biggest roadblocks because also the industry is interlinked. There's a so-called network in, uh, effect. 
as Swiss, maybe we could do dynamic pricing, but we have a co-chair, we have a, a joint venture, and then we would have to partner with the other airlines, and then the other airlines would not be able to do that. So it's all interlinked. And to break that vicious cycle is very difficult. And that's what we tried, actually, is the so-called NDC, new distribution capability, should be a way to break that. But the introduction and adoption of new distribution capabilities, specifically on the indirect channel, is rather slow. Yeah, and I think that that's why it's important that just because those, those roadblocks or hurdles come up, doesn't mean that there's not options before those get there. That's the point of the white paper, exactly. the art of the possible. I say you can do dynamic pricing also in the current environment. You should do it in the current environment because this is how you learn how to do dynamic pricing. And then you are also fit to go to the new world of the continuous prices. Perfect. Well, Carl, thank you very much for your time today. It's been really enlightening and really interesting to hear from, from you. And uh, I know the audience is really going to be uh, interested in it and interested in reading the paper as well. So thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks to Carl Eastler from Carl Eastler Consulting for taking the time to talk with us. This podcast is brought to you by Pros Travel. At Pros, we help airlines on their journey toward off-optimization and digital transformation. For more information, please contact Pros.